I'm Andrew Schweitzer, and you're listening to the Boxing for Free podcast. It was around probably 2008 when I first saw the fighter Yuriokis Gamboa, and the one thing that surprised me about him was just how fast his hands were. I, I, I couldn't believe that he was just throwing off these flurries so effortlessly. Also, he was facing some pretty stiff uh, opposition early in his career. Uh, his third fight was against a, a veteran who had 40 wins and only 11 losses. Uh, but what also surprised me about Gamboa was he was always getting these or he was always the victim of these flash knockdowns. He'd just, you know, get knocked down, and he'd get right back up. You you almost saw it and thought, oh, well, how could that have really hurt him? And, you know, the more he uh, the more he went on in his career, I thought, it, you have to wonder who is going to be able to beat him. And we found out last night that it was going to be Terrence Crawford. Yeah, we had two undefeated lightweights, one Cuban, one American, identical records, 23 victories, no defeats, and I believe it was 16 wins uh, by way of knockout. But uh, it was uh, Terrence Crawford uh, in his hometown of uh, Omaha, Nebraska, who was able to uh, not so much upset the odds because I was surprised Gamboa Undefeated, he'd won titles at featherweight, and I believe he also had a title at, uh, I believe he had a title at lightweight, but actually no, that's incorrect. It was Crawford who had the title, but Gamboa is the one coming in as the underdog, and yeah, no, kind of justified because Gamboa was down in the fifth, the eighth round and down twice in the ninth round and uh, after that second knockdown in the ninth round the referee stopped the contest I uh, I picked Gamboa to win based on uh, what I had seen from in the pa- from him in the past uh, what I didn't take into account was that he had been off for over a year the last time he fought was on the undercard of Adonis Stevenson versus Chad Dawson in Quebec so yeah, uh, in the mean uh, between then those two fights, uh, Gamboa had actually been arrested twice for battery. So you have no idea how much of that may have uh, affected him in his performance, especially the layoff. But uh, Gamboa said on his uh, social media account, he, on his uh, Twitter account, that he uh, felt that he could have continued, but he gave respect to Terence Crawford and said that he was the better man that night. So. Props to him. Props to Terrence Crawford, uh, because I, like I said, I hadn't been paying too much attention to him, and I was saying to Justin, I don't know what people see in this guy. I don't know why they're going so crazy about him. But uh, yeah, once again, my predictions really, really suck. But uh, speaking of predictions, last week during the podcast, I was talking about how my prediction for Cotto versus Martinez sucked. And uh, I forgot to mention that Justin Salvato picked Miguel Cotto to win. He he would have liked for Sergio Martinez to win, but he, his prediction was for Miguel Cotto, and I forgot to include that. And when I told Justin, he wasn't 
He wasn't very happy. He was actually very upset about it. And I actually have the uh, recording from last week because I like to record conversations that Justin doesn't know about. So uh, I'm going to play that for you right now. Hey, Justin, I just sent you the latest podcast, but unfortunately, I forgot to tell people that you picked Miguel Cotto over Sergio Martinez, and I didn't. I hope you're not terribly upset or anything. <laughs> At least I think that's how it went. I, I don't know. That, that whole part I could have just made up for the listener's amusement. Moving on. In, uh, in a move that should have happened years and years ago but didn't happen until last week. 51-year-old Evander Holyfield announced that he is officially retiring from the sport of boxing. The former undisputed heavyweight champion had been fighting since 1984, but hadn't fought since May of 2011 when he scored a 10th round technical knockout of Brian Nielsen. Holyfield had stated that he was not going to retire until he became the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world once again. However, given his age, his uh, inactivity, the opposition that he has faced, and the fact that he would always lose whenever he stepped it up. Uh, well, your mileage may vary with his uh, final loss against Nikolai Valuev in 2000, uh, 2008, but he, he just didn't have it anymore. But uh, good for him for finally recognizing that now is the time to retire. It should have happened probably in maybe 2001 after he uh, beat John Ruiz the first time and won the heavyweight title for a record fourth time. I I keep uh, seeing people say that he won it for a fifth time, but uh, I would love to know when that is, unless they are counting the World Boxing Federation heavyweight title. Please, don't count the World Boxing Federation heavyweight title. There are already enough damn sanctioning bodies to keep track of, we don't need to include the World Boxing Federation. It just sounds like the bastard child of the World Boxing Organization and the International Boxing Federation. Just leave it alone, treat it like a red-headed stepchild, and it's like, oh, it's there, but not really going to pay that much attention to it or give it a lot of credibility. No, just ignore the WBF. Uh, sorry about that, but come on, who's counting the WBF? No, uh, he should have retired then because he, he had an unforgettable trilogy with John Ruiz, uh... He lost to Chris Bird, James Tony. Uh, that that was kind of sad uh, seeing James Tony knock him out. But uh, Holyfield is one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. Even though his, if you look at his record, you might think, oh, what's so great about this guy? But 44 wins, 10 losses, 29 wins coming by way of knockout. I mean, come on, watch his first fight with Mike Tyson. And just try not to be in awe, considering everybody was expecting Holyfield to be massacred in that fight. But, no, he just came back and upset the odds. And I actually have old issues of Ring Magazine promoting the rematch between Tyson and Holyfield. And it is shocking how many so-called experts are predicting that Tyson will beat Holyfield again. I, it's shocking to say the least, but uh, 
He'll be remembered for... Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people are going to remember the ear bite that uh, Mike Tyson gave him in the rematch. And a lot of people... Uh, that overshadows the first uh, fight that they did have, that Holyfield won, which is a, a great shame because it's a great performance. But I was uh, talking with some people in college, and I, I was watching the Holyfield fight, the, the first uh, Tyson-Holyfield fight on YouTube, and somebody said, so when does he bite him? And I said, well, that's not this fight, it's the next one. And the guy said, oh, you mean they fought twice? And so, unfortunately, a lot of people who aren't boxing experts, they kind of they kind of forget that. But uh, good for Holyfield. Uh, he'll be in the International Boxing Hall of Fame one day. I mean, why am I saying one day? It's going to happen, so let's not pretend that it won't. Good for him. Now, stop having children, pay that child support, and hopefully live happily for the rest of your life. Moving on. Hey, do you know uh, what fight's coming up? Lara versus Canelo. Do you know what reality series I like promoting fights aired this Friday and also premiered on YouTube? I should have written a script. All Access! So, uh, yeah, let's, let's go over that, shall we? So they do their usual intro there, showing highlights of each fighter, explaining what it is about them. Canelo, he's only 23, but he's entering his prime, and he still wants more, and he also feels that he's at a point in his career where he can choose the opponents that he wants to face. While with Lara, you have an opponent who is dangerous, not everybody wants to fight, and as they say, he's a bit of a contradiction. He's the product of communist Cuba, but at the same time he defected to the states and now calls himself the American Dream. I really have to avoid making jokes about political affiliations at this moment, so yeah, let's move on to the episode. <laughs> Please give a big hand for the superstar from Mexico, Saul Canelo Alvarez. Great, 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 great performance. Not just the win, but the statement. And that's probably the last you'll see of Richard Schaefer. In this episode, anyway. I mean, who knows? He may pop up somewhere talking about how he hates Oscar and, you know, really hates the $50 million lawsuit. Uh, this is actually at the uh, post-fight press conference for Canelo versus Angulo. And uh, then comes the party crasher, Eris Landilara. It's said the styles make fights. But sometimes, it's up to the fighters themselves. Canelo's moment of triumph became an act of provocation. So Lara gets up there and says, Hey, uh, when are you and I going to fight? And... Canelo says to the uh, to the press, you know, do you want to see us fight? And you could hear that there was a bit of applause. I admit, I watched a video, and the applause didn't seem that loud in the video, but who knows? I mean, maybe I just had bad audio or something. But either way, I would have been applauding. I would have been like, yeah, sure, I'd like to see that. Clap, clap. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's how we got here today. Sobre la pelea... Es una pelea que la gente empezó a pedir, pero empezó a pedir este, por tanta habladera en Twitter, ofender a, a, a 
mi persona. So during the press uh, tour for this fight to promote it, Canelo says that uh, he took it because of all the talk that uh, Lara was doing on Twitter and defending him. And that's why he took the fight, because he was insulted. You have to wonder, like, how far we've come, like, in terms of getting a fight made. Before, you know, you had Muhammad Ali rushing to the ring to confront Sonny Liston after he beat uh, Floyd Patterson again. You know, you had him doing that. And now, it's it's just as simple as you don't even have to be in the same country you can just kind of go to your keyboard type and insult the guy and bang you've got a fight Muhammad Ali would have been banned from Twitter at least five times if it existed in his time seriously he would have just been typing so much he would probably spend more time on Twitter than actually training and he'd probably still win all his fights but uh so Laura says that he was asking for the fight and Canelo was avoiding him, saying, Oh, you you know, you have to wait your turn. But uh, Lara decided, Okay, I'm just going to more or less take a page out of Muhammad Ali's book, insult the hell out of this guy, and hopefully beat the hell out of him. And for better or for worse, you know, it did work. So you can't fault him for that. I mean, who else was Canelo going to face? Was he going to wait until the end of the year to maybe have a showdown with Miguel Cotto? A southpaw, Lara is widely considered the most dangerous and talented challenger in the 154-pound weight class. How much do you want to bet that the guys who wrote the script for this episode read my blog before they wrote it? Don't be shy. Come on, raise your hands. Canelo's decision didn't sit well with his promoter, Oscar De La Hoya. Again exactly what I've been saying for the past two years. And now, a lot of people probably think that I hate Oscar De La Hoya or something because I'm always criticizing him. No, I don't hate Oscar De La Hoya. I think that, you know, he may be a bit harsh by blocking me on Twitter. I mean, come on, I was not that rude at all. Maybe I was, but I mean, maybe he was just being incredibly sensitive. And I was not being incredibly rude. But I don't hate the guy. I think that it's great that he's taking control of his company. That he's out there actually being the promoter instead of just having Richard Schaefer do everything for him. Not that that's happening anymore, but uh, no. And when you hear him talk about the fights, he actually sounds excited. And the fact that he's willing to work with Bob Arum and put an end to this Cold War, great. I am all for that. I give Oscar De La Hoya big thumbs up. Doesn't mean that he is free from criticism. And that goes for everybody. If you do something right, thumbs up. You get a gold star. But if you say or do something that is completely stupid or asinine, guess what? I'm going to point it out and tell people via podcast, blog, or social media output that, hey... This is stupid and asinine. Anyway, let's get back to the episode. I didn't like this fight. I didn't like this fight. It's a dangerous fight. It's not the pressure from the fans or Lara because he was, you know, taunting him. No, it's because he just wants to fight the best. I want to fight Lara. I want to fight Lara. So there you go. I give props 
to Oscar De La Hoya admitting that it's a dangerous fight and also admitting that he did not want to make this fight and I also give props to Canelo Alvarez for saying I'll take the fight so there you go now will you unblock me Oscar so we shipped focused and now we pay a little visit to Arisandi Lara's camp and we also find a little bit more about him if Lara resorted to extreme measures in securing his first pay-per-view date, he had good reason. At 31, he has four children, two back in Cuba, two in the States. And his wife, Yudi, is expecting a fifth just days after the Canelo fight. Oh, pressure. I mean, you're much older than your opponent who has a long career ahead of him and is already guaranteed to make millions upon millions. Uh, but, you know, Lara's just been fighting in uh, on undercards. He probably hasn't made nearly as much money as Canelo. Not, he doesn't have the full support of his family. And by full support, I mean not all of his children are there. I'm sure that, you know, everybody in his family is supporting him. But, uh... Also, he doesn't have those kids with him, and his wife's also expecting a baby in a few days. That's, uh, it's gotta be a, st a stressful time for him right now. Lara isn't accustomed to this kind of attention. But Yudi and their youngest son, Landy Yaniel, are here to see him through this strange new world, the pre-fight media blitz. By now, pay-per-view obligations are routine for Canelo. What's new is the sense that this one, this time, is personal. Se subió la el día de la conferencia después de la pelea de Terrangulo que subió a retar a Canelo. Las cosas empezaron a cambiar. Bueno, lo que el Canelo va a ganar en esta en esta pelea es taparle la boca a Lara, callarlo. Canelo le va a tapar la boca y lo va a llevar a la Universidad de Boxeo Mexicano. That's Chepo Reynoso, Canelo's trainer, saying that Canelo had uh, kind of changed after Lara confronted him on stage after the Angulo fight, and that all Canelo has to gain for this fight is uh, the satisfaction of knowing that he shut Lara up and that he is going to take him to the University of Mexican Boxing because Lara's been saying that uh, that he's going to take Canelo to the Cuban School of Boxing and give him, give him a lesson. So, uh, either way, you know, it's kind of funny, but, you know, they say those who can't do teach, but yet, whatever, I'm putting too much thought into this. Moving on. So we make a transition to Lara's home in Houston, Texas, and we see that uh, he's joined Mike Tyson in... Uh, in the likes of uh, raising pigeons. Yeah, I, I don't know what the big deal is about raising pigeons, but uh, for Lara, he sees it as a metaphor for himself because when he lets them go, they're free, but you know when they're in that cage, you know they can't do anything. So he likes setting them free, and it's a metaphor for, um, for uh, his escape from communist Cuba. Coming of age in Castro's Cuba, Lara came to think of the sport he loved as a metaphor for the state itself. Rigid, stifling, 
and ultimately oppressive. Lara explains that when you're in the Cuban system, it's very different compared to what it is in North America. You don't have the standard of living that you deserve, and you're almost kind of treated like a soldier. And when you look at these kids, they none of them look older than 13 years old. At the 2007 Pan American Games, Lara and Guillermo Rigondeau, both amateur champions, abandoned their team in Brazil. Their attempted defection was unsuccessful, and they were dropped from Cuba's national team. So, Lara and Rigondeau are locked in one of Fidel's beach houses for a week, according to Lara. They can't train, they can't go to any boxing gym ever again. They're branded traitors by the government. And as uh, Lara's trainer, Ronnie Shield says, it only made sense that they tried to defect again. So the episode goes back to uh, Canelo's camp, and once again, Oscar De La Hoya is dropping in to see how his friend is doing. And it seems that even during a show about boxing, we still can't escape the World Cup. I am so glad that this only comes around once every four years. But what I do like is that this episode is honest and doesn't shy away from the controversy that De La Hoya has had in the past year. These have been trying times for De La Hoya. Last September, just days before the Mayweather-Canelo mega fight, he checked into a rehabilitation center for substance abuse. Six months after leaving the facility, he's still learning to fight a sneaky, treacherous opponent, one day at a time. Now, be honest. When they said learning to fight a sneaky, treacherous opponent, did you think that they were talking about addiction or Richard Schaefer? You decide! And I think that's where I'll uh, stop commenting on this episode. Uh, they talk about the how uh, Canelo and Lara have similar opponents in Austin Trout and uh, Alfredo Angulo and how each of them dealt with uh, both opponents. Ronnie Shields said that they beat Angulo uh, better than Canelo did. And as much as I respect Ronnie Shields, because he's a very good trainer, I disagree with him. You didn't see uh, Canelo getting hurt or in any sort of trouble against Angulo. Lara was down twice, and to his credit, he got back up both times, but uh, it was much closer on the scorecards than... It was compared to when Canelo fought. However, it wasn't as close as... Uh, let me try that again. Uh, the scorecards for Arislandi Lara versus Austin Trout weren't as close as uh, the scores for when Canelo fought Austin Trout. Canelo kind of got that boost uh, because they uh, had the open scoring showing, okay, you know, you're ahead, but, you know, keep on it. But, uh, no, so it's going to be very interesting to see where this fight goes. And we've also got one more episode before the fight, which is on January 12th. Yep, so, why did I say January? Ugh, it's on July 12th. You, you see, this is why I need a vacation. I, uh, I have no idea what year it is, but, uh, let's end the episode here. We hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Boxing for Free podcast. You can find us at www.boxingforfree.com, 
twitter.com slash boxing for free. Be like Eris Lara, Robert the Ghost Guerrero, Adonis Stevenson, and hundreds of others. Follow us on Twitter. You won't regret it. Go to youtube.com slash boxing for free and facebook.com slash boxing for free page. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Zoom, Podbean, and several other podcast directories. If you use iTunes, please give us feedback and a rating to let everyone know that the Boxing for Free podcast is your source for boxing news and commentary. I'm Andrew Schweitzer. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in next time.